Today is Wednesday. It is October 21st, 2020, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's begin with prayer. Father, thank you for this time we have this evening. We thank you for those who have joined. We are grateful for your word that has been preserved even unto this day, and that we can trust it even with our lives. We thank you for wisdom that is in the word, and we pray for it tonight. Give us strength and wisdom and knowledge as we take care of what we see in the word, those verses that are before us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, as you know, we are studying in Romans chapter 8, and we're just around, oh, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. So we will be talking about that tonight. We're going to try to get into it a little bit, but we have some opportunity for Q&A, and we'll pause. The floor is open. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25. Just started from uh, a, uh, a t uh, something that Doug sent us. And uh, so it says it, the, the context was context was Jesus lied. Oh, okay. This had to do. Oh, I remember that. Okay. This, and this has to do with, uh, yeah, you know, um, the, the, the verse. Doug, could you help me with the verse I'm looking for, and I can't find it. Oh, so uh, it's Matthew 24. 24. I, I misspoke. I miss mm -hmm. Matthew chapter 24. And what verse uh, is it? Probably around 32 oh, okay. through uh, 34. 34. 24. 34. 2434? Yes. Okay. I'm going to read it. It says, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. And uh, so the gist of the young man who says he was a Christian, uh, but upon reading and discovering these facts uh, drove him from being, in other words, he abandoned uh, his his stance as a Christian. Uh, so he, he's, he's, he claims to no longer be a Christian. Uh, but basically he's saying that uh, this generation did pass. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until these things have happened. And he's saying that they happened and the end didn't come, and so that Jesus is a liar. So that was the context. Uh, I want to see if I think this is something that we've all been through. So if anybody else wants to comment, uh, feel free to do so. Uh, 
Say, let me just set the stage a little bit. Let me set the stage of what he's saying so, so we can be on, on track. So uh, if you look at verse 29, Jesus, Jesus says, Immediately after the distress or tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn the lesson of the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So, if you think about it, that's the stage. So, his point is, this generation shall not pass till all these things have happened. Well, that generation has passed, and these things have not happened. Well, unless you believe Jesus did come. I, I don't believe he came. So the question becomes, if all these things did not happen, and this generation has passed, well, we could certainly say this generation has passed, because how long is a generation? It certainly is not 2,000 years, or... 1,975 years, or whatever it is, if I did the math. So what is it? Did Jesus, was he inaccurate in saying that this generation will pass? Or was he telling the truth? Which is it? I will pause. Okay. So, good evening, everyone. 
Hey, Ellen. So I think I'm listening to the word. He says, then shall the end come. And I think about when Satan tempted Eve in the garden, and he said that. God said, if you touch this, then you will, you shall surely die. But she touched it, and she didn't drop dead, but she did start dying. So he says, then shall the end come. He didn't say, then is the end. So this guy seems to be thinking that once all these things happen, then Jesus will come through the clouds. But the Bible says, no man knows the day nor the hour that the Son of Man cometh except for the Father. So he's almost contradicting himself. And to me, it just seems like he was looking for a way out. So I would, I would answer by saying that what happened in the garden when Eve ate the fruit, the word, it, the Greek, the Hebrew word is muth. And it's, it really, it's really a doubling of that word. So what he's saying is, the day you eat the fruit thereof, dying you will die. So truly that's what happened. The moment she ate that fruit, she died spiritually. And then she also, the process began that she would die physically. And, she, and we know Eve did die some many years later, but she died. She died the day she ate the fruit. And also, in Matthew 24, we want, we want to really focus in because Jesus is the one that pinned this to it. He says he's coming out of the sky. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that that's the end. Uh, and that's exactly what the disciples asked in the beginning of Matthew. Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Right. That was the questions that he's answering. So in 24, immediately after the terrestrial days, he's telling them, here's what will happen. The sun will be darkened, moon will give us light. And then, verse, verse 30, the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man. So he continues down. When he gets to 34, as he said, this generation will not, certainly not come to pass. I'm sorry. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. So what he's saying is, all those things are going to happen in this generation. And so this is what the guy is pointing out as a falsehood. Because this generation was the generation he was standing there talking to the people in. And how, how is it that he did not come back, like he said? All those things didn't happen, like he said, in this generation. So that's the... That's what, um, now I'm not advocating for him. <laughs> I'm only trying to set the stage so that we know what he says there is a lie, you know, and, and there, that's what he's talking about. So I'll, I'll pause to see if others have comments. So my question with that, was you, I mean, you were saying that what a literal or that a metaphor? I think it's pretty literal if he's telling you he's coming out of the sky, wouldn't you? Dave? How about verse 36? Uh, verse 36, can you read that? But about the day and the hour 
no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. We don't, we don't know the day or the hour, but we do know that this generation will not pass until all these things be fulfilled. I can't say I know the day and the hour, but he's given you, and, and if you read, there are so many other passages, Daniel, Revelation, that talk about there's going to be certain signs that happen before Jesus comes. Sun will not give its light, and moon, stars will fall from, all these are signs that happen just before Christ comes. And he gives them here in this verse. So, yeah, we, we don't know the exact day or hour, but we do from the signs that are happening. That's what he means in verse 33. When he says, even so, when you see all these things, verse 33, you know that it is near, right at the door. But it doesn't mean we know the day or hour. We know it's near. I'll pause. Other thoughts? Dwight? <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to ask. Um, I think one of the things that we need to look at is, is what are the questions that he is answering? What are the questions he is answering? And there are two different questions that are being answered. So if you go back to Matthew verse 3, 24 verse 3, um, the disciples came up to him privately asking him, number one, here's the first question, when will these things be? And the second question is, what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? And so I, I think he's making a distinction there um, between those two periods. So the um, when, they, when the disciples ask him, when will these things be, he's talking about verse 2, which he just said, you know, one stone will not be will not be upon the other. They will still be thrown down. And he's talking about the destruction of the temple, which did take place in their generation. So... So knowing that they asked a, a, a multiple of questions, you know, when we think about what it is, we know that the discourse mm -hmm. is directed to answering those questions. And I think Jesus goes about and answers the question. Now we know Jerusalem fell in AD 70. Although, mm -hmm. although when we think about prophecy, often there are double fulfillments in prophecy. So for instance, the, what was foreshadowed in the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, we know that uh, the temple would be rebuilt, and, um, and then later it will also be destroyed. So all of that will happen in the tribulation. So we can read about that. And mm -hmm. the idea here is still, there's, there's no doubt even if we were to say, okay, A.D. 70 is the only fulfillment, there's no way that we can stretch that all of these things would happen in one generation. How would so, so that's the point that he's making here, is that he's saying Jesus lied. So what would be our answer to the fact that, no, Jesus did not lie? That 
and you could another verse is 23 uh, 23 how does it go yeah so it says let me see I I'm I'm looking for it but before if I don't find it there's another reference to this generation I'm typing it in stand by uh, so here it is. Let's see. Yeah, so it's twenty three thirty six. Okay, so twenty three thirty six. So he tells you, um, and so upon. I'll, I'll read twenty five, uh, twenty three thirty five. He says, and so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Verse 36, truly I tell you, all this will come on this generation. So when he says that, what does he mean? Same, similar statement in 24. What does he mean by this generation shall not pass until all these things have happened? Well, it's clear that he's talking about a time period. All these things are going to happen within a generation. I mean, to me, that's clear. I don't know. I would not try to spiritualize or uh, meta make a metaphor out of this. I think he's talking very directly here. So, for the sake of time, we have to move forward. Unless someone else has, uh, we got to move forward. Well, well, the only thing I'll add is, in other words, it says heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never, emphasis, pass, pass away. away. That's right. So, I mean, this, right following that verse, he makes a statement. We're talking about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ makes a statement that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So yeah. I'm confident that he's talking about this generation okay yeah so I, so here's the thing for emphasis yes that is a good point that he is bringing out listen i'm telling you the truth here i and and heaven and earth will pass away before that happens right and you know it's interesting if you go back in some of the verses in the old testament about israel especially some of the ones in jeremiah it talks about that god will never cast israel away and so, you know, if you look at the paper I sent, uh, the, it's called the, uh, the Future of Israel. It details all of those times, not all of them, but enough so you could realize why Israel was very confident in the fact that they were God's people and that they were God's nation and that he, they would be before him and God would never. He says, heaven and earth will have to go away before I ever cast... And he says, and if you can number this the number of uh, s sand on the seashore, then will I cast away this people. So, in other words, he's making what we would call unconditional promises to Israel in those verses. Here, uh, you know, and I think all of all of these verses, and I do not believe. Let me just state that Jesus lied. <laughs> he did not lie. He absolutely told the truth. But what can account for this? And a, and a generation is not over 1,900 years. Let's just 
let's just say that's right. So obviously the answer is not that a generation is that long. So the mystery is the reason why we can account for this information. Why? Because the mystery is about this particular age that happened. It began at Pentecost when God sent God the Holy Spirit on to the earth to indwell and and occupy. Uh, it's a new age. And when we read about this, the coming of the Spirit, it was not n known in previous generations. Right? It was not made known to the sons of men. That's the believers even, who the prophets didn't know anything about this new age that was dawning. If I turn to Ephesians, and we'll look at a couple of scriptures just to nail this down. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2. I like what it says here. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. So administration is the word dispensation, oikoinomia. It's a reference to how God rules over his household. So he's saying you have heard about this administration of God's grace. That's what he's calling it. That was given to me for you. And then verse 3 is clear. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. He didn't read it in the Old Testament. God made this directly known to Paul. As I have already written briefly. In reading this then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. And here it is, which was not made known to people in other generations. As it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So... And then if you skip down to verse 9, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. So angels didn't know about it. Um, no human being knew about it. So what happened is that according to Israel, God's prophecy clock was ticking and it was ticking all the way up. And you can even read in Daniel where it predicts the coming of the Messiah 400 and so many years until Messiah would come. Sure enough, after those years pass, here comes Messiah on the screen, on the scene. Listen to me, on the screen. <laughs> so anyway, Messiah comes. And uh, so, but this time period be interrupts what was to happen. For Israel. So we got to say, with this interruption at Pentecost, the prophecy clock stops. So, but what happens, God does not account for the mystery period. So the period we're living in now, there is no prophecy in the Old Testament that speaks of this age. It was not made known. And not only, it's three things about the mystery. The time period was not made known, right? We, who are the church, uh, Jews and Gentiles, actually in one body in Christ, that, that was not made known. And what we think, the, the calling that we have, and the information that we have, we're not under the law, there's all these, we're different from Israel, we don't have the same purpose as Israel. Israel had the inheritance on the earth and the land. Our inheritance is in, heavenly, in the heavenly realms. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus we don't have an inheritance in the land. So there are stark differences between who we are and who Israel was. And so 
what's going to happen is the church is going to be taken up, caught up. And like it says in 1 Thessalonians 14, uh, uh, 3, no, 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 1 Thessalonians 4, where it says we will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Right? So that's what's going to happen. Those who are in Christ will be caught up. And then this age will be over. So what will happen is God will resume with Israel. And guess what? From the time Jesus told that to the time of its resumption, the prophecy clock, it's just going to be one generation. The Bible talks about the tribulation of Israel is going to be seven years. So after that seven years are over, Christ is coming. All those signs, wonders, and things are going to happen on the earth will happen as it is in Revelation. So those things will resume, and sure enough. So what happened? Did Christ lie? Absolutely not, because Christ did not talk about the mystery age, which was hidden. Right? He talked about what was known in the Old Testament. Now, of course, Daniel, Ezekiel, all the prophets in the Old Testament did not know anything about this particular age. So says the scripture. So it was a mystery. Mystery means it was hidden from them. But it is now revealed to us to whom it pertains. This is the wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. I'll pause. There's much more can be said. In fact, uh, the paper I've written should describe a little bit Hopefully, detail and some more documentation as this. Right. So, like I mentioned earlier to you, this guy didn't understand the dissertation that. Yeah, yeah, they, that's true. It, the answer is in the fact that there was a hidden dispensation. So, I like to read Ephesians 3, 2, and 9 that way. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. It is a mystery. That is, verse 3, it, that is the mystery. So if it's a hidden time period, then there must be other time periods that are not hidden. Right? So does God, God looks at things in terms of administration or dispensation. So if you look at Israel, he, he saw Israel in terms of an administration, but and what was going to happen after Israel, which is part of the tribulation, that's still part of Israel. But the millennium is a dispensation, uh, and if God's going to rule over His household in a different way when it comes to the millennium. But here, um, if there's a hidden administration, there obviously is other administrations to consider that are not hidden, and that's why Israel could predict certain things by just the Old Testament. We didn't even need Revelation. We got Daniel and Ezekiel and, and, and Psalms and all the different Isaiah, all the passages that we could put together, what would happen. Revelation gives a little bit more detail, but a lot of the prophecies that you find in Revelation, like Revelation 13, is also found in Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, Daniel 2 gives a, a broad overview, of the, you know, the statue with all the different parts. Uh, so, so, yeah, all of that deals with dispensations, and obviously it is a hidden dispensation. So that is what you have to focus on to be sure that you are aware 
of the of how to interpret scripture. If you try to lump it all together and say, no, there's no hidden dispensation, there's none of that, right? What you're going to do is you're going to run into a problem, especially in those verses that Jesus mentioned. And here's a guy on the internet who pointed it out. Now, of course, he didn't know uh, that that was the case. I mean, I don't know if you could hold him still long enough to tell it to him, but either way, he did not know. But the answer, no, Jesus did not lie, and the answer is, it has to do with the mystery. So, um, other thoughts? So, uh, the age of Israel came to a screeching halt. Yes. And the church age was really sunny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And basically, that's that's the you know the short of it. Well, it's so Israel is not God's not finished with Israel. I think that's my purpose in writing the paper, and I use Romans eleven to demonstrate that. Right, I, I God has a definite purpose for Israel, and Israel will continue. But God is working; He has a special mission for the church that is going on right now. Special mission for us. He says it was hidden. He declares it is his eternal purpose, Ephesians 3, 9 and 10, 10 and 11. It's according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. 10, to his intent that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Angels didn't know anything about it, but they do now. And it's, it's about God's eternal purpose. So he... Whatever we thought was God's eternal purpose, we need to adjust our thinking so that we can uh, take into account this new revelation that, that was given to uh, the apostles. Yeah, it's not just given to Paul. It's given to Peter and all the rest of them too. So it says, verse 5, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed to the, by the Spirit. That's at Pentecost. That's when it happened to God's holy apostles and prophets. So he get, this is New Testament prophets. Not, these are not, obviously he told you it didn't happen for Old Testament prophets. And so that's how we understand this. Questions? Well, all right. Well, we're going to move right into Romans chapter 8. It doesn't have to be the last word on it. Uh, again, if you have more questions, we have more opportunity. So, in our uh, next studies, let's—if you got other thoughts, bring them to the table. We always love to hear, and which is why I sent uh, the uh, the video because I want to bring uh, all points of view to the table. Obviously, that was this young man's point of view. I think it was a legitimate question, personally. I mean, I think it's one that we all ought to answer for ourselves. And if, if it doesn't make sense, then you have to say, well, what does it mean? I don't, want, I don't think you want to jump to the fact, oh, Jesus lied. Well, I trust that Jesus would not lie. Obviously, that headline is only to, to gain attention. That's all it is. But I think uh, we ought to... Uh, Study to show ourselves approved, right? And like it says in First Peter three fifteen, be ready to give an answer with uh, to anyone who asks with gentleness and respect. 
Right? That's that's how we ought to look at it. It's a legitimate question, and let's answer it. Right. So back to Romans, Romans chapter eight, and this is where we are. We were talking about this this subject where it says, verse twenty six, in the same way. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. And we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Let's talk about it. We started last week. What do we mean in the same way? Well, in the same way as we saw in the previous verses, right? Previous verses where, uh, we, and we can all go all the way back if we wanted to, to verse 014, Romans 8.14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And um, he says, for the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you are, live again in fear, fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba. Father. And look at verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So notice, we obviously have two-way communication here. In our verse in 26, the Spirit is going, we're going to read that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf because we don't know what we ought to pray for. So he intercedes to the Father. And here it says that the Spirit testifies with our spirit. In other words, he communicates with us as well. So it's not just that the spirit, oh, he's behind the scenes. The spirit will let you know that he is there because he will communicate. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit. And what is he trying to tell us? That we are God's children. Then he goes into this, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Wow. So these verses that are coming up next deal with the impact that the sons of God will have on the whole universe. Not only do we have an impact on our periphery, Right, what our local area, but not only that, but the world, but not only that, the universe is going to be affected. And the Bible personifies the universe in the following verses, verses 19 through 22. It talks about it was subjected to frustration, it groans, uh, waiting, and the as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. It's waiting to be liberated. And the, the end point in which the world will be liberated is the freedom and glory of the children of God, right? There is a glory that will attend Christ at the second coming, that coming that we just read about in Matthew. And that coming, we will be with him, and they will see not only the Son, but the whole church, right? His body. We are his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's Ephesians 1, 23. So in this case... What we have is, uh, there's this glory. Now, what we find in verse 23 is interesting because now that we know this, we know what our destiny is, we understand how much impact and who we are in Christ, right? then we groan, right? And, uh, and the groaning inwardly, waiting as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. And what does that mean? 
the redemption of our body. So we know that's the same verse we talked about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You can also read about it in 1 Corinthians 15, where he talks about, uh, Behold, I show you a mystery. Well, when he says a mystery, meaning you, it's a hidden. It wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. Our inception, right, where the Holy Spirit would come, was not revealed in the Old Testament. Our life and the us being caught up together or, or us receiving our resurrection bodies was not revealed. That's a mystery. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. Trumpet shall sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. So all of that helps us understand that we groaned and because we have this hope in us that wells up in us, that tells us who we are and what our destiny is. So we pray and hope for our destiny, right? That's looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That will be the end of not just we'll be satisfied, but God the Father will be satisfied because it was his plan to bring many sons into glory. So he will have those sons. He will have what he chose us in him before the creation of the world uh, was. We'll be standing before him, holy and blameless in his sight. So when it says, verse 26, in the same way, right, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. So we saw the Spirit causing us to have all of this understanding about who we are in Christ. The fact that we're sons. The fact that uh, what our destiny is. How not only is God the Father waiting for this, but the whole creation, was, it was subjected to frustration in hope, right, that God would bring about this whole uh, reality of the sons of God. So this Holy Spirit, this is part of what goes on behind the scenes for us and what the Spirit's integration with our soul actually does. And we must say our soul and spirit because being born again, we have a human spirit. Uh, verse 16 tells us that the Spirit testifies with our spirits. Well, obviously we have a human spirit. So verse 26 really is saying a lot of things to us. So I looked up the word weakness. What does it mean? We talked about it last week. Feebleness of body or mind uh, by implication. A malady, that means like a sickness, a disease, moral frailty, right? Disease, infirmity, sickness, weakness. All of those ways could, uh, this word could be translated. And so when we, when we think about that, now we're, we're seeing what we are as it relates to the world and the universe, right? The creation. The creation uh, subject to bondage to decay. It's subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, right? It, it's, when we think about it, it's been groaning and the pains of childbirth, right? So the creation itself is subjected to this, and there's going to be an answer to it. And the Spirit brought about the answer. Why? Because the Spirit is who brought us about. We are baptized by the Spirit, and as a result uh, of the completion of what God wanted, we find that that is also the end point for the creation being subjected to frustration and the bondage to decay. So we find that that coincides with when, when God finished his plan with us, well, he's ready to wrap it up for the whole world now. Now he's done. So, so in this, the Spirit himself, 
right? This is the idea. He sees that we are also feeble. And I have to say, the body has deteriorated over the many years. So one of the things that will happen, uh, you know, what did happen, you know, Adam and all these uh, other pre-flood believers and unbelievers lived for hundreds and hundreds of years, almost a thousand years they lived. And this is just their physical lives. And, and so we, uh, as the years go on, because of the effects and the results of sin, what do we have? We have feebleness, all of the things that you can see here, feebleness of body and mind, there's maladies, there's moral frailty, right? Sin is getting worse and worse, right? In us, in man, there's disease, infirmity, sickness. All of these things are a result of the compilation of sin over all these years. Look at our lifespans. How long do we live anymore? I mean, well, even if you live to be 150, man, I'm sure you're not going to be jogging and playing basketball and doing all these other things. You better be careful. That's all I could say. Weakness, frailty, all that will be the case. So, but what's going to happen in millennium? It says, and we read in the Old Testament, it says even a child, be, a person will be a hundred years and they'll still be a child. Imagine that. Longevity in the human race will again be the case in the millennium. So notice, that's when the freedom of uh, the, sun, the world is re released from that bondage and all of those things are reversed. And we did say that this is a part of the king being here himself. When the king, who is Christ, if you didn't know, but the king comes to this earth, things happen. Right? There's going to be changes, not only in us, but in the environment and the world. Or, you know, all these things are going to, there's going to be literal changes. Animals will lose their ferocity and so forth. So when, when Christ came the first time, we saw many changes. He healed the sick, you know, all manner of diseases. And I mean, he even, people lost limbs. He could grow the limb back. I mean, there was all sorts of, he healed people from, he resuscitated Lazarus from, and others from the dead. They had died physically. Uh, he calmed the sea. He told, uh, he was in a boat. He said, peace, be still. And the, the waves and the wind uh, obeyed his command. So when Christ He's presenting himself. When he comes as the king to his kingdom, these are some of the changes that we can see. There will be no sickness. There will be no war. They shall learn war no more. Right? They shall turn their spears into pruning hooks and, and so forth, and there will not be any more war. Nation will not rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. That's not going to happen during the millennium. So all of these things are indicative or indicative of what happens when the Messiah will get here. You saw a taste of it. when he, And then not only that, he talked about in Matthew chapter 5, he says, blessed are you, and he talked about all these things, and he was presenting his platform for when he is going to rule the earth. And Revelation does contend that he will rule with a rod of iron. I believe that's in Revelation 19. So in this, we see the reversal of a lot of things, but we do have the presence of the one who can open the eyes of the blind. There will be no more sickness, no more pain. So this frailty, is getting back to this 826, is 
what has been happening over the years. So we can't, we're not sharp like we, we were, right? Man has deteriorated. That's what we're saying. So what happens? So, the, the, you know, we are supposed to uh, take our requests uh, to God. But if we don't know what they are, then how in the world can we pray for them? And so what we have is examples of how God intervenes, even in this case, when we don't know, you know, he helps us in our weaknesses. When those things happen and we got the spirit, we can still come to the full knowledge of the truth. We can grow to the fullness and stature of Christ. Now, how does that happen? I mean, we are so deteriorated mentally and physically. How in the world can we comprehend the deep things of God? It is only through the ministry of the spirit, which it helps us in what we don't know, our weaknesses. Now, just know that if if we do know, right, we have weaknesses, we, we should be, we are told to pray to the Father. This is, I mean, there, <coughs> sorry, there's a couple of verses we can go to. I jotted a couple of them down. So let's look at them really quick. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Let's look at this one. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And you know the story. We'll look at start of verse 3. And I know this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows. He was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about, about myself, and notice this, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should boast, to uh, choose to boast, I would not be... A, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of the, the surpassing great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times, now this is prayer, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now look look at what the response is. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So the power that we have, just because we're weak, it doesn't mean that we don't have power. And I think what God does is he supplements our weakness by his power. And this is what he did with Paul. So he told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now, weakness means I'm at my wit's end. I'm exacerbated. I'm frustrated. And and Paul, but he prayed three times. And, and sure enough, he really was praying. This wasn't God's will to take it away from him. He didn't know that. But God's power is made perfect in weakness. So he says, uh, so Paul says it this way, once he figures it out, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. Now, he's giving you a little bit of understanding of what he was facing. Weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The strong, part of that strong comes as God the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. 
Right? So we may be, appear to be frail and weak and all that, but we are mighty in the Lord. And we could read about what it said. Outwardly, we are wasting away. This is 2 Corinthians 4. But inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Our light and momentary affliction is working for us something that is not even to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. So Colossians 4, Colossians 4 is another couple of verses. I'm just running through these so you could see a thought here. 4, 2 through 4, devote yourselves to prayer. So this is when we don't know what we're praying for, right? The Holy Spirit jumps in and says, I know they're mine. I am not only on the inside, but I communicate to them on a very base level. The Holy Spirit is there. He knows. He even knows when we sin and he fights the sin nature and he tries to uh, help us walk in uh, the influence of the truth, the spirit of truth. So all of that is part of the Spirit's job. But when we should be praying, we, we ourselves have a responsibility to pray. So listen, devote yourself, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And these are obviously our battlefield. We're on the battlefield, and this is the posture that we have. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim, notice here it is, the mystery of Christ. This is the goal. This is our the, the, like I said, we have different information. Our focus is not the law. Our focus is the mystery, the information that is revealed in the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. So Paul's saying, I'm in jail because of this. I, the reason I'm in, you know, I'm locked up is because I've been preaching the mystery. That's what he's saying. I pray in verse 4. So this is not only Paul uh, saying for himself to be in prayer, but we ought to be devoted to prayer. And pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Notice that Paul is focused like we read in Ephesians uh, chapter 3. He says it is his, his objective to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. So notice it is a consistent message that, that we have. Also, look look at verse oh, 12, uh, how about 12? Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. So notice these are, these are other believers wrestling, contending in prayer for you. That you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. And this is this is interesting when we think about. Like, like we see not only uh, the Holy Spirit interceding for us, but there are other believers who can also take that role and intercede, wrestle in prayer for us. So we need the help, as, as we we already covered the Ephesians passage last week. But then there's also. Um, Philippians 4, 6. I'm jumping quickly. Philippians 4, right? And then uh, around that, Philippians 4, is what maybe we should read some of the verses ahead of that. Uh, but 4, uh, actually it's 1, 6, not 4. I don't know where I got 4 from. Philippians 1. So I'm going to start at 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. 
in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's the rapture. That's when we'll be caught up. It is right for me to feel this way about you, since all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains and jail or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Notice, again, the heart of Paul is, imagine what is spurning or influencing the heart of Paul to have this attitude. It is God, the Holy Spirit. It is God, the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying that God, the Holy Spirit, inspires others to pray for us. No, this is the Spirit himself prays, and, and this prayer is intercession. Because when we intercede for somebody, we take their place. We take their plight. We take uh, their rock between a rock and a hard place situation. And we take it up to God. We, we pray for them. And I'm hoping if you haven't experienced the intercession for somebody, then it, it is a part of the Spirit's ministry to us is that we care about fellow believers. It is spoken of in terms of love. He tells us, love the brethren, right? And if you love the brethren, then these are things that you do. You're devoted to them. You, you care about them, their welfare, how they are faring in their spiritual life. Are they growing? Uh, so forth and so on. So so this, and then there's, oh gosh, there's some verses in First Peter. I know our time is getting there. So we're going to, First Peter chapter 3. Oh, is it three? Yeah, let's look at chapter three, um, verse twelve. Here's another one. First Peter three, twelve. For the eyes of the Lord, are on, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So notice that verse is saying that. God is attentive to our prayer. So when there is weakness on our part, he wants us to come to him. You know, that's part of what God is saying. And then 5, 7, and 8. This is First Peter 5, 7, and 8. You know these verses. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know uh, that the family of believers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. And, and there's, there's, um, this is just to say that, yeah, this is what we should be praying as we're in the world and we're on the battlefield and we're growing in grace. And, uh, you know, we go to God when we have any time we're afraid, we should put our trust in him. When we have anxiety and fear, when we're when, when we don't know what is ahead of us, we put our trust in him. But here's when we don't know what we don't know, then the Holy Spirit is there. He takes up our cause. He, he takes up what we need before God. He's aware of our weaknesses and the feebleness of what sin has done to these bodies that we live in. And he takes that up so that we are competent when it comes to who and what our representation to God is. We, we lack nothing. Right? 
everything that we need, God has given us. If we need, uh, you know, help with our frailty, our mental acuity, all of that, the Holy Spirit allows us so that when we are being influenced and led by the Spirit, we can, in fact, be led into all truth. There is nothing about us that won't. Uh, so we think about the Spirit. He knows our feeble weakness, shortcomings, and all of that, we might say, is battle fatigue. So he's the one that's within us already. He, he Forever, in John 14, the Spirit resides in us forever. He leads and guides us into all truth. Now, that's intimacy. That's intimacy. He knows our. He knows everything about you. There's nothing to be ashamed about, about us being weak. I know we, we tend to want to present ourselves proud and, you know, self-sufficient and, you know, always able to have all the answers and everything. But in this case, God is telling us we don't. We have weaknesses. We don't see everything, right? So given who and what we are in this world, we're sons. But yet, we don't see the big picture clearly. So what does God do? He takes up the battle in our behalf. That's intimacy. He doesn't go to, he says, yeah, those people that don't know, they just don't know. No, he goes and he takes the fact that we don't know and he presents it to the Father. So even those unmet, the unconscious needs that we have on the battlefield are dealt with directly by God. So this is, what I say is intimacy between the spirit and our spirits and obviously our soul. So he intercedes for us. He stands in our stead and represents us. So the father knows the mind of the spirit. The spirit's mind is really our mind if we are allowing him to integrate and influence us. So we want to look back at Romans chapter 8 once again. Let's focus it and, and summarize it as we are nearing the end. So 8.26 says, in the same way, in the same way as what? As what we just talked about, all the things that the Spirit has done. Right? It's not only waiting for the sons of God. Right, It's once we get the redemption of our bodies. I'm not going to go through that whole thing again. But that's in the same way. The Spirit helps us when we don't know any better in our weaknesses. Right? our feebleness. We don't know what we ought to pray for. That's one of the things about why we are feeble. We can't see it all. We can't see the big picture. We only see what we can see. But there's more. There's a lot going on in the spiritual realm. There's angels. There's demons. There's a battle. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and all these things. But we can't, we can't fight what we cannot see. Uh, or, we can, or we do not know. So the Holy Spirit is there, even in that situation. We don't know what we ought to pray for. And prayer, that's battlefield talk. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us. He stands in our place, in the gap of our weaknesses. Our, he, he becomes our competency, our sight for us through wordless groans. Now, these wordless groans is a language that, according to, cannot be enunciated, cannot be spoken. Right? These, that's why it says wordless. So the Holy Spirit is able to communicate to the Father through these groans. Now, we don't know what these groans are. 
We could say it's a heavenly language if we wanted to, although it could be language of accommodation here. Because the groans speak of unmet needs and desires that we have that we don't even know we need. It's like uh, we groan inwardly about the things we do know. Right? We know we have this hope and we're still waiting for these, you know, our, you know, the fullness of our adoption, the res resurrection of our bodies. We know about that and we're praying and we have this hope just burning inside of us. That's what we have there. But here we don't know what to pray for. This is spiritual warfare. And this is part of who we are now. The spirit becomes our competency, right? He, he becomes our intelligence when it comes to the spiritual realm. He fights. But when we say he fights for us, really, he's part of us. The spirit is interceding for us through these wordless groans. Next week, we'll talk about the next verse, which in my mind expands even more about what these wordless groans are. So it is not left to imagine what it is. He tells us what it is in verse 27. So I will pause for a sec. Well, no, actually, we don't have time for any more questions. It's 9.15, so we're going to have to quit. And we will pick up verse 27 next week. Let's bow our heads as we close. Father, thank you for the privilege of serving on the battlefield. For you chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in your sight. We thank you for the choosing us. And we don't know why you chose us. We don't understand your sovereignty, your, your grace in this area. But we just know that... You know, we're grateful, we're thankful, we're appreciative of your calling us to the stage at this particular time. And we know, Father, that as we continue, that you will continue to show us more information as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for those who have joined the call, and we pray as we continue to keep us uh, safe and you know, we, we pray for uh, each person in this uh, time of the pandemic that we are living in. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.